This is What's Next from American Security Project. I'm Maggie Feldman-Pilch. Today, I'm joined by Beverly Kirk, fellow at the International Security Program at CSIS and manager of the Smart Women, Smart Power Initiative, also at CSIS. Bev, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Maggie. I'm so excited to have you here. Anyone who's ever met me or read my Twitter feed knows how much I love Smart Women, Smart Power, and how much I adore you and the work that you do. (laughs) Thank Um, you so much for promoting us and being our (laughs) biggest fan. I definitely am the biggest fan. Um, So what is Smart Women, Smart Power, SWSP? Smart Women, Smart Power started. Our first event was in December of uh, 2014. And the idea behind it is to amplify the voices of women who are in foreign policy, national security, international business, global health, and development. Um, The emphasis has been on the the first three, Mm -hmm. foreign policy, national security, and international business. But we have had guests from global health and development as well. But the thought was, everywhere you go in Washington uh, at a think tank event, even many academic events, it's always men talking about serious issues in these areas. So Smart Women, Smart Power was started to counter that because there are many smart women in foreign policy, national security, international business, global health, and development in Washington and in many other cities in this country and around the world. And it's time that they were heard. It's time that their expertise was known. So we do six live events a year and a a biweekly podcast uh, to let people know and hear from these women. And they're out there. It's just sometimes hard to get them on the schedule because they're very busy. Uh, uh, And sometimes uh, we women, and I put myself in this category, aren't always as, uh, I don't want to say confident. Uh, I'm not sure what the right word is, but we're not always pushing ourselves forward to be heard in the way that men do. Uh, And and I know that sounds like a really generic blanket statement to, to make, but anecdotally, I find that I find that men are willing if a question Absolutely. is asked their hands go up and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Right. I just want more women to to do that. Right. Right. And, and that includes myself. And I mean I'm sitting here nodding and of course this is a podcast not a live feed no one can see me. Um but I like we've said I'm a huge fan of of what you do at CSIS and it's so interesting and timely and important. And as we were talking before we started our interview, one of my favorite things about the events isn't just the conversations. And these are incredible women, right? You've had mm-hmm. Wendy Sherman, um, Secretary Madeleine Albright. Um, and I know you have one coming up as well soon, right? March 7th is our next event. And our guest will be Christine Lagarde, the Managing Director of the IMF. Which is incredible. Um, and so it, it's wonderful, particularly from my perspective as a young woman in, in this field, to see these incredibly accomplished women, not just speaking you know, at the UN, but right there in front of you mm-hmm. five rows away. Mm-hmm. Um, and my real favorite part, though, is the reserved seating section at these events, right? Because uh-huh. they get to invite their friends, as right. they should. And it is absolutely the Hall of Fame who's who of women in foreign policy, national security, international affairs, um, global development, all of these things. And it's incredible to see these these other senior women show up for their friends and their mm-hmm. colleagues and their peers and to be a young woman sitting right behind them you're like this could be me one day right. um, and we always talk about how important it is 
to see it so that you can be it, right? And I want to follow up on something yeah. you said there, being the young woman a couple rows back, seeing these women, because if you can see it, and you can believe it. That's one of the other tenets of Smart Women, Smart Power. One of the reasons we wanted to create what we like to think of as a forum where women can collaborate and network and inspire the next generation of women leaders, leaders in this field. Yeah. And you're right. One of my favorite photos of it was of our very first Smart Women, Smart Power event uh, with the then UN ambassador, Samantha Power. Yeah. And on the front row, right there, sitting by Nina and Samantha Power is Janine Davidson, uh, who is another top level uh, Absolutely. woman in national security. And there's a whole line lineup in those first two rows. Uh, who came to hear uh, Ambassador Power speak. And it's that it's been that way for pretty much every event yeah. that we've had. And, you know, I remember I, I was at that first event, and, and one of my favorite events since then, they've all been wonderful, um, was with Wendy Sherman. And, uh-huh. and she came to speak about... Uh, the Iran nuclear the Iran deal and nuclear her role as, the, as the, the lead negotiator. Yeah, and it was incredible to, to be, you know, kind of a fly on the wall and, and mm-hmm. listen to that. And she talked a lot about how, I, I remember she called herself, and it, I will never forget this, an iron fist and a velvet glove. Yes. And it was one of the best lines I've ever heard. And I wrote it down on a post-it note, and that post-it note is on my desk. Uh-huh. Um, and for you to be involved, not just in, in the actual day of event, mm-hmm. but to work with all of these women in in putting this event together, I mean, you really are a one-woman show, let's be real, but... What is it like to to see what's possible, I guess? It's absolutely fascinating. And I love having this kind of front row seat yeah. uh, to be able to engage. And what you learn, it, you, you would think that women who are in these super high level positions uh, and they are uber busy, but to a fault, each one of them always takes time and discusses the topics because we don't just sit them down in the chair and right. they start talking. Uh, we talk with them. What do you want to talk about? Right. What are the most important issues you want to bring forward in this conversation? And they always have time to talk to me or they always designate one of their staffers. Yeah take care of this, make sure that everything is the way it should be, whatever Beverly and her team at CSIS need, my team of one, me and the intern. Okay. <laughs> Which I, I only highlight that because to anyone who knows these events and the work that you do, I mean, it is really incredible. It's it's like, I'm totally gobsmacked by it and speechless, which really clearly is not an I easy can't take, feat. <laughs> I can't take all the credit. Uh, I mean, as far as just the initial organizing, it is me and the intern. But at the event, sure, it's me and a whole team of people. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It, I can't claim all the. I, sure. I don't want people to uh, to come. You're not with setting the wrong... up chairs and running the live feed. That is true. Well, sort I don't of. run the live feed, <laughs> but, but I have been known to set, set up, up chairs. chairs. That's right. I, yeah, I, I have been known to to help out the the teams who do that. Yeah, because. It, the the environment at CSIS it, it's really like a family right and you pitch in you do what you can you, where you can you do what you can where you can whoever needs help if you can help you help yeah so um uh, but my uh, going back to my original point of um the these high level women they 
you know, they are excited to come and speak yeah. and share what they know, and they want to make sure it's a great event. So it, there's there there's no stuffiness or, or anything yeah. like that. And you think, oh, my goodness, I'm talking with X person or yeah. X person's executive assistant. And, and they've all been really down to earth, really, you know, easy yeah. to work with. Um, it, it's, it's a pleasure. Every, every event, every event is a pleasure. And I think your perspective kind of on not just smart women, smart power, but how you look at foreign policy and national security is rather unique and very much needed in this field, right? So your background is, is in journalism. You were a broadcast yes. journalist for, for many years. And, and while, you know, obviously have an academic background in both journalism and national security um, and international commerce, you really understand not just the subject matter, but how to communicate it with people. So talk to me a little bit about that, the difference between being an expert and kind of telling the story and making people care. Well, the best experts know how to tell the story. Right. Uh, in working with the scholars, uh, in the other hat I wear at CSIS in the International Security Program, which is uh, being a deputy director for outreach right. for, for ISP, I work with the other scholars and I find myself often telling them in order to bring their information to the broadest possible audience, you have to get their get them to buy in. You have to get their buy in. Yeah. And one way to do that is to boil down, sum up all of your research into 140 characters or less That's that right. we can tweet yeah. about. Because if you can't communicate it broadly, then the general public that you're trying to reach with your message, it won't be received. So everything is essentially a story. Yeah, It's just in all in how you tell it. And what do you find is kind of a, a differentiator between incredibly capable scholars and incredibly capable storyteller scholars? And recognizing that it, you know, maybe it's not just one thing, but, um, you know, I, I think everybody struggles with this. How do you make people care, right? I think you explain what's in it for them. Yeah. Every story that someone's going to care about touches them in some way, shape, sure. or form. And... And really good scholars and really good writers, I don't think there's a, a difference between the two, Yeah, know how to make things relevant. One point in their research may be relevant to you. Another point in their research may be relevant to me. Sure. And the challenge is making sure that we both hear the message that's intended or, or that can reach us. Yeah. Uh, sometimes sometimes the hardest thing to do is to write in a in a simple way and I know that journalists get criticized <laughs> uh, for um, uh, dumbing down particularly when I was working in television um, you know we were told to keep it simple yeah the kiss principle keep yeah. it simple stupid yeah um, I don't like the word mm, stupid, stupid. Yeah. so I just say k-i-s mm. keep it simple um and sometimes that sometimes the issues are complex, right? Uh, and they're not so simple to explain. But the uh, but the best scholars, and we have the best at CSIS. I do have to say, in the <laughs> international security program, they are all wonderful writers who who take these really complex things that they're writing about, mm -hmm. and they make it 
so that it's understandable. Yeah. Which is the key. They don't dumb it down. Right. Um, like we were told to do in journalism. Right. Or not told. But it was, yeah, it, there's a way to simplify it without, it, it's like the Army Writing Style Guide, which, you know, doesn't allow you to use the word it or they. It's it, short sentences. M- make it connect in a way. Simple declarative sentences yeah. are your friend. I, In addition to the work I do at CSIS, during the fall semesters, I teach writing in the School of Communication at American University. Right. And I always tell my students, when I'm trying to get them to write simple declarative sentences, I say, if you start a sentence with a, with a phrase, and by the time I get to the comma, I don't remember what is at the beginning of the phrase, it is too long. Yeah. And I have actually distilled that same advice when mm-hmm. I'm editing the work of, of of some of the of some of the scholars because sometimes they'll ask me to take sure. a look at what they've written and and uh, do a quick uh, proofread copy edit yeah. before they send it on to the main copy editor. Sure. And and sometimes I will say, you know, I read I redid yeah. a sentence here just to just to make it a little more clear. Yeah, and I, I think you know. One of the the pieces of criticism and critique that a lot of people in national security, foreign policy get is the struggle to connect. And so to have both skill sets is important and necessary and maybe something we haven't done so well with in the past. Um, and I know before we, we started recording, you were talking a little bit more about why smart women, smart power is important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mentioned to be a young woman and, and see not just the woman on the stage speaking, um, but all of the other women that come to support her, what that's like. So, and what are some other reasons that really smart women, smart power came into being? And is it part of this kind of storytelling? I think one of the most important reasons why Smart Women, Smart Power was created was just to make sure that all of these women experts who are at the top of their game were being heard. Yeah. Because when you look at the landscape of who's talking about these issues, in many cases it was either mostly men or all Mm -hmm. men. Yeah. And there was a concentrated effort to make sure that these women who are at the top of their game, experts in their field, it it was an effort to make sure that, that... they're heard, that they're seen, that people know about them. Right. Um, but that's not to say that we don't love men. Right. My mantra, and I tell this to everyone when they say, well, why is it called smart women, smart power? Ugh. And <laughs> and does that mean you, that you don't that you don't want to hear from men? And I, and I said, no, it doesn't mean we don't want to hear from men. It just means that in this forum, at this time, you're going to hear from smart women. And we love smart men. And we hope you come and sit in the audience and listen. Operative word there is listen. And you know, of course, at ASP, we have the Women in Security Leadership Program, um, which kind of our unofficial goal is that one day all of our, our cohort members will grow up to become smart women, smart power, you know, not just attendees, but sit in the reserve section, get their butts up on that stage. Um, and one of the pieces we, of feedback we heard as we were, you know, inviting people to apply was, well, what about the men? And you know, there are so many layers to this, and there is not enough time on this podcast to <laughs> to peel them all back. But 
there it is such a male-dominated field, and there is something important, and in some ways rather simple, simply by knowing who the women in the space are and being able to say, whether you're a man or a woman doesn't matter, but knowing who the women are and then being able to amplify their voice mm-hmm. and to connect with them and say, you know, not only do I want to retweet you on Twitter, I want you to come to my event, I want to talk to you, I want to know what you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really powerful just just to know who else is in the room with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that gets overlooked. You know, sometimes we get so bogged down in how can we overhaul an, a, a giant system, which is important work also, mm-hmm. but we forget about these little itty bitty steps you can take that have a much larger impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know that uh, outside of Smart Women, Smart Power, outside of being Deputy Director of Outreach, um, of course you also do have a background in national security and you mentioned uh, something you're really passionate and interested in is counter- countering violent extremism and mm-hmm. specifically what drives women from Western countries to become what we now refer to as ISIS brides. Is that right? That's something that, that you're really interested in. That is something that I'm really interested in. Only out of sheer curiosity, what would make, as you said, um, someone who grows up in in a Western country with access to education and opportunities decide one day, oh, I'm going to drop everything, I'm going to leave my family, and I'm going to go... Uh, I don't know if women can fight with ISIS or right. if they're there in support roles. I, I think that's yeah. essentially what they're, they're there in support roles. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by that and want to delve deep into what is it that, that makes someone decide to take a different path uh, and to take that path in particular. And what are some things that can be done to prevent that from happening? I'm fascinated and want to know what can be done to prevent young women from taking that step. What is it in their lives that makes that switch flip? Yeah, like what what is that that switch? What is the kind of that click moment? And of course, um, you know, the fight against ISIS and and ISIS operations. All these things are are hot topics right now, Um, but. This individual level decision making process is not focused on so much, and even less if you just focus on women. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder. I mean, to me, there, there is a tie between the work you're doing at Smart Women, Smart Power, and this interest because it's like, hey, you don't want to say like, hey, we're here too, but it's like this is an important component of this much larger issue you know if you if you overlook Wendy Sherman and talking about JCPOA then you are not getting anywhere near the full story right and if you overlook these young women you're still not getting the full story on ISIS um and as you start delving deeper into this topic I'm you know what is it that I don't I it's it's hard to to imagine that you know you could find out what the individual kind of little thing that that tipped the scales for each person is but what is it that you expect or hope to find or see if you know yet and maybe you don't I don't I don't know I honestly don't know yet I'm just curious about the journey yeah that would lead someone from living a life that I think it's safe to say a lot of people would want and they and and they then choose to make 
a very drastic a very change. Ja a very drastic change. A very drastic change. Is it, do they have a, a religious experience? Right. It, it, is it something that they've studied that makes them yeah. have a different interpretation of the religion that allows them to make a, a, such a dramatic change? Um, but what what is the experience that they have that makes this this option or or causes this option to be one that they want to pursue I, i'm just fascinated by i'm just fascinated by that question and and hope to hope to put some time into studying yeah uh, and to researching because i know that there are folks who are working on in this area um and and i want to find out as much as i can uh, about it because I just I simply find it fascinating and I'm just curious because it's so different yeah. than anything in my worldview. Right, right. And uh, and I guess that goes along with having been a journalist. I got into journalism uh, originally to be a storyteller storyteller because I was curious. Yeah. I, and I'm curious about the way people live, the way they think, the way they operate, and I don't think that changes because I'm not in journalism anymore. Sure. It's just uh, working in the national security foreign policy field allows my curiosity to be pursued in a different way. Yeah. And, you know, before before we started recording, you mentioned, um, you know, the experience you had growing up that made you want to come to D.C. And so I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. <laughs> um, and I, I guess I'd frame it in this way, in in understanding the world around you mm -hmm. and and putting these incredible women up on stage, putting yourself out there um, as someone who supports women, wants to amplify their voices, all of those things, um, from your own experience and what made you come to DC and say, this is what I want to be a part of, do you see maybe a, a link there? Does that make, you know, the importance of, of seeing so you can be and, and having that visibility and saying, hey, these options are out there. It's a really tricky question. And I guess, I'd, so I'd, you mentioned you're, you're from Kentucky and your first trip to D.C. was in what context? My first trip to D.C. was in uh, 1982 when I was in high school uh, and uh I was a 4-H'er. I don't know how many people will know, know what 4-H is. What 4-H yeah. is. Um, but I was a 4-H'er, and this was the citizenship trip sure. that you could take. And you spend a week in Washington learning all about government and how it worked and visiting Capitol Hill, visiting the Supreme Court, and um, visiting um, theater, Kennedy Center, yeah. National Theater, um, and taking it all in and I wanted to be where the action was sure. uh, I think because I grew up in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in rural southern Kentucky uh, in the foothills of Appalachia I always felt the need to be where things were happening sure and that's and I decided at that moment I want to end up in Washington I'm not sure exactly what kind of job I'm gonna have I think at that time I was thinking, I think I want to be a journalist, but um, I wasn't exactly sure. You know, yeah. I, I was pretty sure I was probably 90% because I had wanted to be a journalist since I was probably eight or nine years old. <laughs> um, but I, you know, at that point in high school where you think, oh, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll yeah. do that. But the overarching 
thing I wanted to do was to be where the action was. And Washington was then, still is, the place where everything happens. That is true. And just, you know, as... Even as kind of technology and, and the world changes, um, Secretary Albright made a comment at her recent Smart Women, Smart Power conversation, you know, that people communicate with each other in 21st century technology, governments hear them in a 20th century technology, uh-huh. and address those concerns with 19th century technology. <laughs> um, so while that may be true and pretty funny, uh, DC still is where things happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know that there is enough emphasis on really what the the purpose of of smart women smart power and the, and the void that you guys are filling and to be able to have you on what's next is fantastic and really for people to take a look around and say like what what are you seeing who's telling the story mm-hmm. um it's really and that's a really good and important point who's telling a story is critical and one of the things that I love most about smart women, smart power, is that it's these very smart women telling their stories. Yeah. And invariably, and this, if I may sure. commandeer for a moment and Absolutely. T- tell one of my favorite anecdotes from one of my favorite events that we've done, and, and we've done a lot of them, and I love them all. Absolutely. But one of my favorite ones is the one we did where we had three dozen women ambassadors, uh, women who are U.S. ambassadors to other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have an annual meeting here in Washington. And while they were all in town, we invited them to do a Smart Women, Smart Power event where we had, it's the only panel discussion we've ever had. Smart Women, Smart Power is usually one really smart woman doing a conversation. Yeah. Um. But one of the reasons this is my favorite is that, you know, you had women representing all parts of the globe up on stage talking about all these difficult issues that they encounter, um, all the different, all the difficult issues that they're dealing with just in geopolitics. Um, And then someone raised the question, and this almost always happens with our events, um, someone raised a question about how do you balance it all? I think that person was me. Was it you? (laughs) Yes, it was. (laughs) Did you inspire when uh, Ambassador uh, Gina Abercrombie, when Stanley, who is now the former U.S. ambassador to Malta. That's, um, yeah. And uh, and she told the story of well the one of the most important things is to choose choose your spouse your partner wisely uh, because she uh, had the case where she had been sent to the UN in New York in one in one of the early days of her career and her husband was dropping her off and they discovered their daughter had had lice yeah and she was like okay honey you got to take care of that i've got to go i'm going to the UN now bye yeah and and then that inspired all these other yeah. stories from all of the other ambassadors about all of the things normal life things that they have to deal with even as they are handling complex geopolitical issues in whatever country where they're working. And I just thought that moment was just great because in so many cases, um, people think that when you have a, 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 a program like Smart Women, Smart Power, it's just going to be women talking about women's issues. Right. And I always have to explain that Yes, women's issues are a part of the conversation sure. anytime. Right. The emphasis for smart women is 
for the for them to talk about their expertise. It's the smart, whatever, not the women. <laughs> whatever that expertise may be, right? Whether it's foreign policy, national security, international business, global health development, yeah. whatever. But there are always questions about the balance. How sure. do you handle everything? And part of that shared experience, I think, is so important for um, not only the women at that level to know that, hey, everybody else has these questions. Yeah. But it's important for younger women who are climbing up the ranks to to see these women talk about how they handle everything. Yeah. And to know that there's that shared experience, there's that shared bonding, that you're not alone in having these questions. And maybe you don't have anybody to ask this question. There was another... Uh, there was another question that came up that was similar when we had the Secretary of the Air Force or the then yeah. Secretary of the Air Force, Deborah Lee James, and there was uh, a young woman rising through the ranks in the Air Force mm. who was pregnant, and they were talking about family leave and career path. Sure. And and while that wasn't the focus of the conversation... She got to ask, though. She got to ask this woman who was at... The tippy top. The tip top about that kind of issue. And I think there's benefit in women being able to to ask that question along with, you know, how did you get to be where you are? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Beverly Kirk, CSIS fame, thank you so much for joining us. It has been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. And I hope we'll have you back. I would love to come anytime. Wonderful. So this has been What's Next from American Security Project. I'm Maggie Feldman-Filch.